A reading from the twelfth chapter of Romans, beginning with the ninth verse. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints, extending hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Reading from the 16th chapter of the Gospel according to Matthew, beginning with the 21st verse. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this must never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Then Jesus told his disciples, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? For the Son of Man is to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay everyone for what has been done. Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. I have a story to share with you. It's been a hot minute since I told you something funny at the start of a sermon. Some, somebody asked me one time why American preachers do that. I told them because we don't like preaching at people with scowls on their faces. I don't think that's really true. But Sometimes what it does is it helps you to get in a different frame of mind, and I'm hoping that's what will happen with this one. You ready for it? All right. On the outskirts of a town, there was a big old pecan tree by the cemetery fence. One day, two boys filled up a bucket full of nuts and sat down by the tree out of sight and began dividing the nuts. One for you, one for me. One for you, one for me, said the boy. 
several were dropped and rolled down toward the fence. Another boy came riding along the road on his bicycle. As he passed by, he thought he heard voices inside the cemetery. Yeah, I know, right? He slowed down to investigate. Sure enough, he heard, one for you, one for me. One for you, one for me. He just knew what it was. Oh my goodness, he shuddered. It's Satan and St. Peter dividing souls at the cemetery. He jumped back on his bike and rode off. Just around the bend, he met an old man with a cane hobbling along. Come here quick, said the boy. You won't believe what I heard. Satan and St. Peter are down at the cemetery dividing up the souls. The man said, beat it, kid. Can't you see it's hard enough for me to walk? When the boy insisted, though, the man hobbled to the cemetery. Standing by the fence, they heard, one for you, one for me. One for you, one for me. The old man whispered, boy, you've been telling the truth. Let's see if we can see the devil himself. Shaking with fear, they peered through the fence. Yet were still unable to see anything. The old man and the boy were gripped with fear as they grabbed the wrought irons of the bars of the fence tighter and tighter, trying to get a glimpse of the devil. At last they heard, one for you, one for me, and one last one for you. That's all. Now let's go get those nuts by the fence and we'll be done. (laughs) I'm glad y'all laughed. That's one of my favorites. And now that we've done that, here's what I want to say to you. We can't be like nuts that roll down to the fence. We have to stay in the hands of the one who has control over us. This master who holds us in his hands. Satan doesn't have the keys of hell and death. St. Peter doesn't have the keys of hell and death. In our funeral liturgy and in my Bible, it tells me that Jesus has the keys of hell and death. I don't know if those pecans jumped out of those boys' hands on their own or not, but sometimes when I'm messing with little things like that, I feel like stuff jumps out of my hands all the time. It happens now more than it did when I was 30, but all the time when I'm trying to hold something in my hands, just last night I'm trying to put a screw in the paneling and a wall in the garage to put up a new uh, surge protector because the other one got hit by lightning, and I couldn't hold that screw in my hand and the drill in the other hand to save my life. I felt like I had lost all of my you know, stuff, coordination. How do we keep our spiritual coordination, church? How do we remember who we are? Wasn't it true that just last week, Peter got told, you, Peter, you, you're the rock. If you're Catholic, that's what it says. If you're Protestant, Jesus says, your faith, your your confession is the rock. I believe it's both, personally. I think the person made the confession. Y'all hear what I'm saying? So issues about whether or not the Pope in Rome is prime just don't matter to me. What matters to me is that when Peter confessed Christ, Peter became a person that Jesus could use to build the church. 
to shepherd the church. And later on, when Jesus reinstates Peter, he will say to him, feed my sheep. Correct? That's in your book. But Peter lost vision for a moment. How did that happen? Wasn't he just told, hey man, I'm giving you a new name. Your new name is Rock. And on this rock, I'm going to build my church. But in today's reading, Jesus says, you've become a stumbling rock. You've become something that I'm going to trip on. And how? Because you've lost your sight, man. You're not looking at things the way that God is looking at them. You're looking at things the way human beings look at them. And how do human beings look at things? Human beings ask, is it good for me? Will it give me more wealth? Will it give me more power? Will it give me more standing? Will it give me more my truth? Will it give me something I can hold over my neighbor? Will it give me some leverage to get what I want? Those are the questions the world asks. And for that reason, the world rejects the cross. Why do Christian churches put crosses in our churches? Is it just to remind us of what Jesus has done? Or is it to remind us of our way of life? That we don't get to see things the way the world sees things because we're different. What did Paul say? He said, present yourself, your body as a living sacrifice. Meaning that every single day, you're going to offer yourself to God for God's purposes. That's what Jesus is telling Peter he's failing to do. Peter has decided that this thing that Jesus is saying, that he's going to go to Jerusalem and be killed, cannot happen because Peter knows how messiahs work. They become the king. They go to Jerusalem. They throw Pilate out. They tell Rome, you're not welcome here anymore. And so Peter presumes to tell the Son of God how to be faithful to his own father. He's rolled down to the fence, hasn't he? He's fallen out of the hands of the one who called him. He's lost touch with the program. How do we keep from doing that? When sometimes crosses look hard to carry, don't they? What do we do? Clayton Smith wrote something that I thought was really nice. I wanted to share this with you. He used to be the, uh, not long ago, he was the leader at the seminary I went to, but he's not there now. But listen to this. This passage is a sure cure for preaching that tends to turn Jesus into a moral example. It often sounds like this. If Jesus was willing to die on the cross for you, then shouldn't you be willing to serve him in return? Here is a comprehensible Messiah, a tit-for-tat leader who sets an example and expects people to follow. The moral of the Jesus story is to ask, what would Jesus do? But that's not the moral of this story. We know what Jesus is going to do. He's going to die, be killed, die, and be raised. And what he's asking is, are you going to go with me, church? Are you going to presume to tell me that that's not how this thing works? All sorts of people in the Christian church today are promising people flowers and BMWs if they submit to Jesus. It's all over your TV screen. 
You probably own some of their books. They're sitting in your house. They sell them at Walmart in the Christian section, but they're not Christian at all. They're just the new Gnosticism that claims that we can have the blessings of this life and serve Jesus. If you're chasing after only the blessings of this life, you're seeing the world from a human point of view. If you chase after Christ, we're told, if you pursue God and His righteousness, those things will be added to you. That's in my book. But if we chase after those things, we're replacing Jesus' project with the project of the world. And Jesus' project is that the church would submit itself to others, to love others, to owe one, no one anything but love. That is the cross we're being asked to pick up, not enduring your mother-in-law. All too often, people talk about the crosses that we're carrying as if it's someone we're having to put up with, as if that person becomes a burden. The cross that we're asked to carry is to see that person that could be a burden as an opportunity to serve Christ. Do you hear the difference? There's a giant difference between seeing someone as a burden and seeing them as an opportunity to love Jesus. Clayton Smith goes on, what this story demands is that we reset our habit of having our minds set on human ideas. Jesus is to die, not as an example of good behaviors, but so that he could rise again and reveal the incomprehensible power of God to change the world. That's the project that Jesus wants Peter to get on with. The power of God to change the world. And where Peter finds himself is in exact allegiance with the devil. And that's why Jesus says to him, come after me, get behind me, follow after me. Your place is not ahead of me telling me where I should go and what I should do. Your place is behind me, following me in faith with confidence that wherever we go, the purpose of God will be met. How do I know that? It's in the Greek. In a word, day, D-E-I or delta epsilon iota, which means it is necessary. It's the divine necessity. Jesus must go to Jerusalem and we must go with him. Period. End of sentence. That's it. There's no calling to greater wealth here. There's no calling to peace, no calling to security. There's calling to follow Jesus. And in following Jesus, we have peace and security, even if the world decides to kill us for following Jesus. For what can they do? Jesus said. What can they do to you? Don't fear them. Fear instead the one who can throw both body and soul into hell. Follow after Jesus. Come after Him. You know, and it doesn't seem like that's a direct comparison, but listen. What Peter is telling Jesus is make bread. Remember, Jesus had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights in the desert. He's famished. He's hungry. After 40 days, your life is threatened. His life is threatened because He hasn't eaten. If He spoke to the rocks and told them to become bread and ate them, he would literally be saving his physical life. True? That's what Peter's telling him to do. No, Lord, save your life. But Jesus told the devil, get behind me, Satan. 
get behind me. Because Jesus has a project. It's to die for the world and be raised for the world. And the project of the church is to die for the world and be raised to the world because that's what Jesus did. We follow after him, taking up a cross. And a cross is not a matter of inconvenience. The cross is a way of living by dying, by giving ourselves for others. All the time in my Christian life, I have heard pastors say that we are called to live a cross-shaped life, a cruciform life. And very seldom have I heard a pastor actually tell people what that looks like. But I'm glad today that the Apostle Paul saw fit to write what's in Romans 12. And if you'll bear with me, I'm going to paraphrase it for a minute, but i got to stand there with that book to do it. And what I'm hoping is that you will hear these words from Paul as what it looks like for you to leave here today and be behind Jesus as Jesus is walking into the kingdom. Okay? Listen to what is said. This is what a cruciform life looks like. This is what a cross-shaped life looks like. Not from David's mind, but from the Word of God. Romans 12, what we heard a little while ago. First of all, he says, let love be genuine. If you're going to love people, do it for the purpose of loving them, not for what you get out of it. I've heard people say before, oh, I just enjoy giving people things that makes me feel so good. Are you loving the person or are you loving feeling good? Give when it hurts. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to good things. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Don't expect everybody to always be lifting you up, but lift others up. Be zealous. Somewhere in the world, there ought to be somebody whose nerves you get on because of how you love Jesus. Be ardent in spirit. Don't give up. Serve the Lord, he says. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere with prayer, he says. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. This is what it looks like to take up a cross. Bless people who persecute you. That's what it looks like to take up a cross. How does Paul know that? Because when the Lord had nails driven in his hand, he hung on a cross and said, Forgive them, they don't know what they do. Bless those who persecute you. Bless, do not curse them. Rejoice with those who are happy. Cry with those who are crying. Live in harmony with other people. Don't be haughty. Don't think arrogantly of yourself. Associate with lowly people. Do you see the world out there associating with lowly people? What did Jesus do? Did He not eat with the tax collectors and the sinners? He doesn't set for us a moral adventure. He shows us a way of life. Paul is not telling us what good morals are. He's telling us what a good disciple is. A good disciple is a person who associates with the lowly because those are the people that Jesus came for. Jesus said, I didn't come to heal the well. I came for the sick. Do not repay anyone with evil. Do what is noble for everyone. Live peaceable with everyone. Never avenge yourself. Leave room for the wrath of God. If your enemies, 
Uh-oh. If your enemies are hungry, taking up a cross looks like feeding them. If your enemies are thirsty, taking up a cross looks like giving them something to drink. Romans 12, 9 through 20 is what Peter didn't want to do that day. These things that Paul have said are the outcome of Jesus going to Jerusalem, being killed and being raised. They're the life that His death and resurrection make possible for us. If He must go to Jerusalem, we must follow after Him. To follow Jesus means to take up a cross when it presents itself. When we find ourselves confronted with opportunities to serve others that might convenience or inconvenience or even harm us. Those are the moments of bearing a cross. How do I know that? Because serving us harmed our Lord, did it not? Did He not give His life as a ransom for us? Did He not willingly lay down on the cross and die for us? So He calls us to follow after Him and take up the crosses that He places in our path. Not so that we can be good people, but because we are His disciples. And today, because it is hard, He offers us this meal of grace to nourish us for that work, to renew us in the hope that by taking up our crosses, we might make a witness to the cross that He carried. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.